0: You're listening to the Common Grace Podcast. Stories of common grace and common people for the common good. How do we move from hobbyist to artist? What about elevating our craft from being an artist to becoming an artisan? Today we talk with Sam Song about his journey with his own creativity, what he calls the story of yellow and becoming an artisan warrior. Let's learn together why our creativity shapes how we see our belief whether we consider ourselves artists or not. Well, I want to welcome my friend Sam Song to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. I've been actually looking forward to having this conversation. I've been wanting to interview you really around a topic that I just uh, have always found really fascinating. You have an artist's heart, and uh, you've really incorporated that into your faith. It's just a part of who you are. It's part of your faith, and I just think the... The paradigm, the picture that you paint with that perspective is really, really cool. And I can't wait to dig into it because I think this can be great for our listeners. All right. Well, I'm ready. Cool. Well, I want to jump into your story. But before we do that, I just want to ask first and foremost, why do you think art as a subject, as a conversation and as a reality, why do you think a conversation like this is important for artists and people who might not consider themselves artists? Well, I think we're all
1: creative we all have a creative genius in this, whether you call yourself an artist or not. I'm not more focused on the idea of the art, but I'm focused on the person of the artist. And so whatever they express is great. But for me, I realized it all begins from who we are and, and how we identify ourselves. And so art is important. It helps shape the culture and creates different perspectives for people to see different and expand their perspective but what I realize is above the art, the artist is kind of where I've been spending a lot of time focusing on, on what it means to be an artist. What are the next levels of being an artist? What is an artist? All those type of questions is something that I continue to explore with those that may not call themselves artists, but they have a creative flair to them, which is literally everyone. <laughs> but, you know, some people just kind of repress it more. But as we start talking about the impact we could make in the world. You know, that in itself is a creative act, and if you make creative things, I would think you're an artist.
0: I love it. Well, would you mind maybe just sharing a bit of your story that's led you to your perspective?
1: Yeah, well, you know, the best way to explain my story is with the number three and the color yellow. And so I am a, a, an immigrant that I have immigrated to the US, and before that, I lived in three different countries. Uh, which is Korea, and then the UK, and then America. And so my childhood and my upbringing has been a seasons of change constantly. So I went to three different elementary schools in three different countries. I went to three different middle (laughs) schools in three different cities. I went to three different high schools in three different states, all in my freshman year. And just to top it off, I decided to go to three different colleges. And so change, navigating change is something that I, I know very well. And for the longest time, I thought that was maybe a curse or maybe why I couldn't succeed or have not arrived where I needed to be. But as I continued to grow and mature and learn from those things, I learned that it actually became a gift where I'm able to help a lot of people navigate seasons of change because I've been there and I'm still there. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, it's easy to say my stories in threes because of, you know, it just kind of catchy and memorable. But yeah, I grew up, you know, being a creative myself, I had a very creative flair, as well as an entrepreneurial flair. And so, you know, I was a photographer all through high school, and I was a photo editor. And eventually, I went to film school, came out of film school and started working in the industry uh, in LA, as well as in the sports world. You know, my first job was with the NFL network, I would be the camera op that would be getting run over by the football players. So that was who I was. And still, to this day, I still do some of that work with some of the collegiate sports that's happening in this area, because I just can't move away from it. But nowadays, I spend most of my time coaching and training people and helping them navigate change. But all of it I see is the way of myself expressing myself as an artist. One of the questions people ask me is, you know, who are you? And that's one of my least favorite questions. And so I answer it this way. I am an explorer. I'm a creator and a guide. And if you want to know what that means, you need to spend some time with me and you'll find out what that means. But other than that, I am Sam and I'm here to meet people where they are and then maybe help them along the way. And so that's a little bit of my story, but yeah, that's that's who I am.
0: (laughs) I love that. You have this unique phase, a part of your story that you've called the story of yellow. Mm -hmm. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, as an artist, the only gifts that I have to give to this world, I realize it's my stories and my testimonies of God's goodness, faithfulness and love in my life. And story of yellow is just one of those things that I've learned. So as a creative artist, you know, I was working in LA and in my young adult season, I was really angry with God so much that I would be the anti-Christian, meaning I would go and argue with Christians because I grew up in the church. I would just kind of say, "You know, just ask those questions that you know will create doubt. And so for seven years, you know I lived my life, lived as a creative, just doing what I wanted to do, and I got a little bit tired of that. And the reason why I ran away from from God is mainly because something tragic happened in my family, and I just couldn't understand a God that's supposed to be good could do this to a family that gave their lives for ministry. And so seven years of just pushing and and being angry, but eventually I got worn down. And I ended up starting to volunteer and and return to the church. And when people know that you're creative and you're good at production, (laughs) you know, the first thing they want to do is have you to volunteer and engage. And so this is before I was actually back, but I just thought it'd be fun to, you know, give them my time and my service to, you know, serve a community of faith here in in Southern California. And so for some reason, you know, I was doing all of that and they still let me serve, even though I was still angry at God. But they gave me a place to just be, a place to belong, uh, a place to process. In that process, uh, I ended up becoming a a pretty key volunteer in the production. And for some reason, you know, everything I was doing, you know, God was blessing. And so things were starting to grow. Uh, We built a team of 100 volunteers. And it was just, I mean, it's incredible, like what God was doing through me as a volunteer. And so, what when the pastor sees that they're like, "Hey, let's get him on staff." And so, they brought me onto staff and had me become uh, a media arts director. And then, again, for some reason, God kept blessing it and kept pulling me into leadership. And ultimately, I became a pastor of the church. Obviously, I had a prodigal son moment and a return, but <laughs> that's another story. But that's how I ended up. And so, as soon as I got the title of pastor, the creative arts pastor of the church. I felt like an imposter because I'm like, if they only knew, right? And so I spent the first year of my pastoral ministry, you know, trying to do my best to not be found out, right? I didn't go to seminary. I didn't graduate college because I got a job. So I'm like, forget it. Why am I going to film school? I'm just, I got a job. I'm just going to go work. So I had no credentials to say that I was a pastor, but the leader of that church believed in me and, and gave me a responsibility and, and called me out. And during that time, I met my wife and, and I also had a baby, my first daughter, my, my only daughter, but my first child, my daughter. But that was the same time that I received the title of pastor. And when ended up happening was a year later, I realized I missed the whole first year of my daughter's life because I had to prove myself to everyone and to myself that I deserved this title. And so what happened was there was a moment, a dark season of my soul Where I was angry at God again and I was up on a on top of my apartment parking lot with a a six pack of beer and cigarettes going back to my old ways, cussing at him and yelling at him. I can't believe you did this to me again. You know, I I gave myself to ministry and and I'm not happy, I'm burnt out, I'm miserable because I keep trying to pretend that I'm a pastor. (laughs) And so, you know, my wife, who's my sage, my mentor, she's the one with wisdom says, Hey, calm down. Let's go get some yogurt. And so we went to go get some yogurt. And I don't know if you guys have pink berry up there, but there's a place where they sell frozen yogurt. And, and along with frozen yogurt, they also sell trinkets. And there was this plastic yellow bunny that had a top hat uh, that was in a top hat. And I was wondering, what is that? you know, why is it yellow? Why is it plastic? And I looked at the price I'm like, why is it 30 something dollars? And I just couldn't understand why would someone do that? Because I was so bitter, angry, cynical. And so as a creative, as a photographer, I decided to say, you know what? I'm going to do a creative project. I need to get out of this funk. And so what I did was I said, every time I see the color yellow, I'm going to stop and take a picture of it. So this is before the iPhone. This is with my professional wedding photography camera. I was a wedding photographer for 14 years as well. And every time I saw the color yellow, I would stop, take a picture, and ask, why is it yellow? And if you could just kind of play out that story, (laughs) if you start looking for yellow, yellow's everywhere. It's almost to a place where, you know, artists, we kind of get obsessive that every time I saw a yellow flower, I'll pull over the car. If you know, if you drive anywhere, you know, there's yellow signs everywhere. And so I had to begin to create some parameters around this or my wife was gonna leave me. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> so what I did was I started walking to work because I couldn't drive because I kept pulling over and began to you know start really kind of going all in on this. Like every time I see the color yellow, I'm gonna pause and ask why and start paying attention to it. And after you know a couple of weeks of doing that, you know, yellow is everywhere. And I had this kind of like epiphany moment, this aha moment, this moment of awakening where I said, wow, okay, what if I started looking for God in that way? And that changed my life. And then all of a sudden I started looking for the beauty of this world and look for God at work. And when I started looking for him, I found him everywhere. And it was amazing. And from then on, started kind of this new journey into this new world. It's the same world, but with a different set of eyes where I'm able to see beauty and I'm able to see God in everything. And in that, I was able to discover a lot of new things and new insights and frameworks and principles that really had guided my life through even harder seasons, as well as been able to help others in their season of transition as well. And so it's a long way of sharing the story of yellow, but it was a dark night of the soul and the color yellow kind of helped me wake up
0: from it and see the beauty around me. Would you mind just, just maybe go into a little bit more of like what that transition was like for you from yellow to God?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was in a very dark place, you know, and so this was kind of like my way of just kind of dealing with it. Maybe it was my coping mechanism. It was all of a sudden, you know, it's like I'm walking and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, maybe I start looking for God in this way. And then all of a sudden, like, it's like, the, you know, I was blind, but now I see, <laughs> And all of a sudden, I started discovering that God was at work. Now, I use the word beauty because every time I saw something beautiful, I saw God's hand and I saw God's glory. And that's how I see God. And so, what I chose in that moment, and I don't have that exact moment, I don't have a story where it says I was walking down the street and I saw a yellow daisy and then boom, I thought God. (laughs) No, it was something that in hindsight I realized that pivot happened. Ever since then, you know, one of the biggest discoveries that kind of started off my journey. From the story of yellow was, again, starting to pay attention to my conversations with friends, saying, God, what are you saying in this? Right. Instead of just talking, I'm, I'm trying to see what God is doing. Everything. I was just wanting to see like God at work and see kind of how he's working. And then while I was talking to my friend, we're talking about significance and success and all those things. And I just simply said this. I don't think life is about creating significance. I think it's about discovering it. And all of a sudden that created all these other things that came out of that. And so I want to say yellow and God just kind of, that wasn't that kind of like definitive moment, but even though I feel like it was all of a sudden, but what happens is when you start looking for God, you know, he'll reveal himself in so many ways. And, you know, it's not only through the word, but it's through relationships and through nature and through all the things I just kept looking for him. And he he kept making himself known. And so um, then I went through this kind of like a, a season where like every day I felt like God was revealing something. And so I journaled it all down and wrote it all down just to capture it. Now it could be that I was drinking too much coffee. Maybe I ate something bad and I'm hallucinating and being delusional. But there was a moment where I heard these words, you know, don't enable the slumber of the world, wake it up. And that really helped me define my mission in life, which is to awaken the world to beauty. And so kind of a roundabout way of answering that question, but that's kind of you know, what it is. I actually haven't told this story in a while, and so it's been it's fun to kind of relive it.
0: <laughs> oh, it's incredible. It's beautiful. And you're talking to someone from the Northwest, so there's no such thing as too much coffee, my friend. <laughs> you know, you talked a little bit about the moving from yellow, like just this the awareness of the opening of eyes, opening of your heart, the hope opening up to beauty and opening up to God's beauty and seeing him as the source of that. So movement from yellow to God. Can you talk just a, maybe just briefly about your movement from this awareness and discovery of God's movement in your life and in the world, maybe back to church and maybe uh, seeing beauty in that place that you'd kind of not found as much beauty? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, ever since that moment of Story of Yellow, like I just started seeing things differently. I just saw the church as beautiful. And I began to look for the beauty in the church, not in all the issues and, and, things right and as I started looking at the beauty and just really honing on holding on to that and trying to champion that I found it to be very helpful to others and so what I'm realizing is that as I you know part of the whole story of yellow and the whole artisan stuff like the story of yellow launched this idea of the artisan and the artisan warrior and the idea around the artisan warrior is to help the world wake up to the beauty within themselves within each other and in the world because when you see things as beautiful, it's really hard to want to destroy it. And so I felt like if I could help everyone to see the beauty in themselves, because we actually don't do that very well, to see the beauty in one another, each other, and in the world, I think that could really make a big difference because we're not going to want to destroy it, we're going to want to preserve it, save it, make it better. And so I believe perspective was a huge part. And same with the church, everything's a choice. I choose to see beauty, right? Even in the midst of all that went on these past few years, I'm still choosing to see beauty in the midst of it all. I'm not ignoring the ugliness, but I'm looking at the beauty and trying to champion that. And so in the church right now, there's a lot of not so beautiful things, but there are some beautiful things and there are some beautiful expressions that are emerging out of the season. And so I'm putting most of my focus and attention on that, not on what's wrong, but what could be right. And actually not right, but what could be beautiful. And so that's kind of where I'm moving towards as I'm helping faith leaders. You know, I do coach uh, pastors around the world as other part of what I do, but that is something that I try to help them to see and, and get them to the simplicity and the essence of, of what it means to be
0: a body of Christ. Oh, man, I love that. The more you focus on and cultivate the beautiful, it's like the beautiful begins to grow more and more.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have to cultivate it. We have to look for it. We have to protect it. We have to help people, others see it as well. You know, I know there's people on the other side of maybe where you stand, but they're beautiful too. If you just choose to look for them because they're made in God's image and maybe the world kind of tore them down and made them the way they are, whichever side you're on. But if we could look at the beauty and the story of of how they came to be, I think there could be a place where we could meet and have a conversation and move towards you know, what I call creating a beautiful future. Mm. Not a better one, just a beautiful one. And I think it's all about perspective and, and choosing to see beauty, not the ugliness <laughs> of it all. But again, I'm not saying ignore it. I'm just saying there's there's sometimes too much attention on that.
0: So you said part of your mission is to awaken the world to beauty. How do you encourage people to awaken to beauty when there's so much ugliness around? And maybe how have you kind of surmounted that? When there's a lot of ugliness, how do you stay focused on seeing the beauty? So
1: staying focused on the beauty takes practice. And it takes a lot of hard work. And you just have to be intentional and, and keep doing it. I document everything. I have, a, I have a journaling practice that I've done since Story of Yellow. And I document everything and write everything down, everything that I see, feel, hear, understand, insights, conversations. Now I use some digital tools to help me organize it. But again, I'm always asking, you know, what is what is the beauty that's around me? What is the beauty in the conversation? What is the beauty in the relationship? What do I need to see? And that's been really helpful. It's just the intentionality and the discipline. I think sometimes we want to be, you know, for those who are are of faith, you know, we're looking for God's presence in our lives. And one of the big discoveries that I realized is that it's there. We're just not fully present. We come with distractions and other things. When do we bring our full presence to him? And that posture and that change has really changed me because when I did that, I'm like, oh, here you are. It's great. (laughs) But usually I'm so distracted and have lost focus. I haven't learned how to create room in my life, how to create space in my life. And so I built a life management system. As much as I'm artsy-fartsy, I am very systematic. I use Notion, which is a great tool. I use Rome. I have all these tools that allows me to have the freedom and the space to go look for him. How often do you wake up each day and say, all right, let me go look for him? Pretty much very rare. But when you could wake up, you know, and do that and build a practice around it, God wants to reveal himself to us. That's what I've realized. And that's what I've experienced. It just, we just have to go and ask for it. And so that's, that's what I've been doing uh, in terms of, you know, kind of awakening to beauty, awakening others to beauty, things like that. But that's kind of the work that started way back when, about maybe 10 years ago. But now I've just been able to take all the things I've learned and kind of synthesized it and simplified it. And so now I just walk with people through their seasons of change with some of the practices and the principles that I've learned that has helped me to continue to walk and work with him, the beautiful one, right? And, And that's been a really great rhythm in my life.
0: So you've developed a bit of a framework to help people move from an artist to an artisan. And you might, even, you might even expand on that, but that's one way of framing it we've talked about in the past. Would you mind just maybe for our listeners going through that? Because I think it's extremely helpful.
1: So let's, let me share what I mean by a framework. Framework is just a way of seeing. So it, it's, it gives you some boundaries and some language and some tools to kind of see something a certain way. And so in the early days of what we call Story of Yellow or the Artisan Warrior, we developed, well, I developed this framework based upon my own journey. And so, you know, it's really a journey from being a hobbyist to becoming an artisan warrior, but in between as artist and artisan. And so, you know, if you guys know the Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, I kind of use that model as a way of, of helping people see where they are so they could see the next step to take, right? Sometimes helping them to see where they are is the most important work. And so most of the times when I meet someone and they have some sort of a creative flair, I call them a hobbyist, you know, they're kind of like tinkering and playing around and saying, Oh, you know, I could draw, I could make stuff, you know, things like that, but I'm not an artist. Right. And so in that season, I call that winter. I ask them to recognize the call and answer it. Right. It's a call to be an artist. And so it's a choice to say, okay, I'm going to be an artist. So when they choose to say I'm going to be an artist and they step into a season called spring, where, again, they're an artist and their journey there is trying to figure out this whole imposter syndrome of am I an artist or or not? <laughs> like you put things out there, you don't get any traction, you're wondering and second guessing yourself. And so during that season, what I do is I help them to go from the am I to I am, because literally it's a choice. The world doesn't decide whether you're an artist, you do. And so trying to help them to get that confidence and, and that courage to step into the identity. And then from an artist is not, you know, that's usually what people say. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful that you, you helped me to get there. But I, there's two more seasons that I want to take them to. So a lot of folks are stuck in the artist where it's about self-expression. But I want to show them that their artist's identity and their giftings and their talents was not meant for them. It's actually meant for the world, meant to be something to create value. And so I help the artists really understand how to create value from the gifts and talents and their expressions. And they become a craftsman, craftswoman, or aka artisan. They're really focusing on their craft. They're defining what the craft is and they're beginning to do the hard work of mastering. And so that's really helping them to understand how to build the discipline and the systems in their life to help them to become great at what they're, at their craft right? And then after that, as you become great, and as you start getting noticed, and as you become a master of your craft, then you get influence. People are like, wow, he is the greatest so-and-so. I want to learn from him. And that's an opportunity for you where you actually die to yourself, and you use your influence to help others and help those, especially those in the margins, like the least and the lost. And so using your influence to help bring light to those things. Now, a lot of times... I have a lot of young folks that want to skip the mastery part and they just want to learn how to build popularity and influence. And I try to guard them against that. I want to make sure they're focused on their character uh, and their craftsmanship. Why, why, why is that so important to you? Oh, <laughs> because one of the most, I don't know if it's a lie, but most of the drivers in people's lives is popularity and influence or AKA significance. And it drives them mad because in the, if they don't achieve it, then they're not, they don't matter and there's no worth in them because they only see themselves as their ideal self. And so it becomes very toxic, I realized. And so I rather have them not worry about influence, you know, or creating a mechanism to gain influence, but to really focus on the craft, the work in front of them, and to be really great at it and out of the work, out of the mastery, out of the kind of the craftsmanship. You'll be able to gain influence because people are not liking you because you posted a post every single day on Instagram or anything like that. You didn't gain it, right? You actually earned it and built it. And when you have that kind of level of influence, they don't want to know what you do. They want to know how you live. When they want to know how you live, that's an incredible opportunity to help and make impact in people's lives. And so this goes to another idea where I call, or obviously I struggled with imposter syndrome. And I struggle with comparison and I struggle with all those things, like pretty much everyone in this world does. But what ended up happening with me is as I continue to grow and mature, and as I continue to find the beauty within myself, I no longer needed to have multiple facades to present myself in different contexts. So in this context, here's this part of me and this, you know, here's the facade I'll put on in this and so forth. And so instead of having all these facades, all the facades are I started stripping them away, you know, like a telltale sign of someone that has multiple facades is they have like six, seven social media accounts, you know, all different names and they have all different identities based upon who they're trying to reach. Right. I just started stripping all that away. And then I realized that actually I'm a very multifaceted person. So the essence is there, but I have different ways that you could see me. And so I just realized like here, all of me, but I'll give you a tool to see me in a certain way. And so I never had to pretend I never had to fake it to make it. And that really helped. So because of that journey, I'm always trying to help people not to compare themselves to their left and to their right. Also, more importantly, don't compare yourself to your ideal self, which is one of the biggest things that I'm learning with the young folks is that they have this idealized version of who they should be. And the gap between who they are today and who they should be drives them crazy, really creates anxiety, creates depression, creates discouragement because they created this kind of idol of who they should be and they know who they are. And that gap is really creating a havoc in their soul. And so I say, forget that ideal self, learn to love your real self and let's build towards something better each day. And that's been something I found to be very freeing and very encouraging for our young folks out
0: there. (laughs) Why do you think it's hard for people to love the real self by focusing on their ideal self? Well, the ideal self
1: is usually made up by other people's opinions and you want to people please. And you want, you know, that, that ideal self is usually determined by how others look at you versus how you look at yourself and how you see that God sees you. And so for me, I don't pursue self-awareness. I, I pursue God awareness. And in that I discovered a lot about myself. There's no one that lies to you more than yourself. <laughs> and so I just said, you know what? forget it. <laughs> I'm going to look for God and have be more aware of his presence and his work and the beauty and the creation and all that is him, right? All the mystery and all the, the wonder that is of him. And I'm starting to find myself in it and seeing a part of a greater story. And that's really been very clarifying of who I am. So I know my part, which is great because I don't have to be everything to everyone. I just need to be who I was created to be and be okay with it, even though I may not be famous or popular or have influence, I'm very comfortable because I feel like I'm being authentic, which I define as being true, as being whole and being present.
0: Well, it sounds like there's a lot of joy in being centered in that. Oh, yeah. I feel bad
1: that I like, well, see, this is the human side of me, right? Because why do I feel bad about finding, having joy and peace and love and kindness and gentleness and suffering. Right. (laughs) Why do I feel bad about that? Right. But that comes from being centered. Right. I mean, it's the fruit of the spirits I just listed. Right. But it's because I'm centered not around me. I'm centered around he. Now, one of the things that I've also noticed, and these are all observations, no data, but just my observation is that we actually have moved from me to we, us, and we find we centered ourselves around a, a community versus moving all the way to he god jesus and the holy spirit like there's something different where that's the center and out of that comes community and out of that comes who i am. And so so for me that's what i've been experiencing. Now, i'm here smiling and having a good time and laughing, but i've had the hardest four years of my life. Right? Yes, i went through all those, you know, transitions in my life, but you know, part of my story in the last few years is that my wife got ill and became handicapped and went through four different brain surgeries. And then this year, my father died of COVID. And yet I'm here still looking for beauty and finding it. Still having joy and peace and comfort. Why? Because of all the years that I've practiced and realized that God has always been faithful. He's always been good. And he's always been loving. And he's always been there. And so most people don't know that part of my story. But when I share it, they're like, whoa, right? But I think what I discovered, and I'm almost like a proof of concept, right? That when I'm actually looking at the beauty in this world and and living through the practices that help me to keep doing that, to remain in his love, right? To abide in him, all those things, to walk and work with him, to have him teach me the unforced rhythm of grace, those type of things. It doesn't matter what my output is. It's been really great to see that out of this kind of, this kind of wholeness and wellness, there's actually been a lot of impact from it without me really pushing so hard because I'm just coming alongside the work of the beautiful one (laughs) and being part of what he's doing. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times where I'm feeling stressed and tired and all those things. I'm not the saint, but I've learned a few things that I've been sharing with people. And for some reason, it's working for them as well. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, now it's a sample size of many, and so maybe I could share it a little bit more freely and more
0: confidently. You've been through a season of, of loss and, and hardship, you and your family. How have you, maybe give us a, a bit of a picture of some of the beauty you've found in the brokenness.
1: Well, I think one of the biggest treasure that I received in this season, and my father passed away in February and we buried him in April, so it's pretty raw is this shift, like, again, it's not like yellow was the only thing, right? That was just the start. God keeps saying, okay, let me show you more. Let me show you more. Let me show you more. That's what I feel like he's doing, right? But yeah, w- one of the biggest perspective shift was to move from this idea of delusional idealism to hope-filled reality. So for me, I don't ignore the present and the ugliness of today by infuse it with hope. I don't go into the la-la land of what could be, what should be, what needs to be, to what is today and what can I do to infuse hope to it. That really helped me to not get into this idealistic, delusional state that really doesn't give us any traction of moving things forward. Yes, there's a lot of things in this world that is broken, and there are things that I am trying to do my best to participate in, but I'm not out there on social media talking about it. I'm just doing the work that's in front of me because I'm making more impact that way. And I'm moving the needle forward in that way. And so for me, that's kind of like what I've learned to not live in the past or the future, but be in the here and now, in the present. So when I think about the past, I just try to remember God's faithfulness. And I have a practice called remembering the future. I remember the story that God's writing in my life and the story of himself in my life. And that gives me faith. And then I look at the promises of that he'll be with me always. And that gives me hope for the future. But today I'm driven, I'm directed by love. And so 80% of my life is really trying to be directed by love, but it is motivated by gratitude. And so those are things that I've I've learned. And so this is all kind of like fresh off the season. So it hasn't been really refined or articulated. Mm. I hope you guys can understand that for me, I'm directed by love and I'm, I'm motivated by gratitude. That's what I've been learning from this whole shift from delusional idealism to hope-filled realism.
0: You are sharing real gifts with us and we are grateful. We're thankful for it. You think of joy and you think of the gratitude that kind of fills your heart. When you look at helping people through this journey of like an artist or through this framework, what's the impact that you see in people's lives that gives you the most joy as you walk them through these seasons?
1: I think first thing I do is I try to create space for them. Everyone's living too much at the margins. So there's no space for anything to explore. It's all go, 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 go. And so one of the best things that I've seen is them being able to say no and them not being a people pleaser. Them doing things because it's vital, not because it's not going to disappoint someone. And so, so many people are driven by the opinion of others. I think that is not so good. But when I see them kind of release that and learn to say no, to many things so they could say yes to the important things. That's been something great. So creating space in their life is one, but ultimately I'm trying to give them clarity and courage to take their next step or maybe their first step towards a desired future. Like lately I've been kind of toying with this definition of hope. Hope is knowing that there's a desired future and seeing a pathway to it. And so if I could help people see some steps towards that desired future, or that beautiful future, and I see them take that step, that gives me a lot of joy because I think that step gives them more clarity to take their next step. And it gets them closer to that beautiful future and that beautiful life that I hope that they can have.
0: It's almost like they're bringing a piece of that hopeful future into the current moment. Mm -hmm. The future becomes present in that way. Mm -hmm. Mm. What would you say are the biggest barriers that you see from season to season? You may have already touched on some of these, but Maybe there's a few barriers that are common that our listeners would be helped by hearing from you.
1: I think people don't spend enough time making room in their lives to reflect, to review, to respond. And so making room is, I think, kind of the big barrier because most people don't have space in their lives. They don't have emotional capacity. They don't have mental capacity. They don't have spiritual capacity. And sometimes they don't have physical capacity because they're not taking care of their bodies, you know? and so making room in their lives i think is really important and i think that's the big barrier towards wholeness and wellness you know i think part of the big part of us as followers of jesus is you know to love god with all of our heart with all of our soul with all of our mind and with all of our strength but we don't really think about how to build that capacity of love right in those four areas and so i think that's one of the things that we don't we don't we don't really think in healthy ways And we're not intentional and and we're not focused. We're pretty distracted by a lot of things. But yeah, I think, so let me say it this way. I recently heard someone say, there's only two problems in this world for most people, or there's only two problems in this world. One is knowing what you want, but not knowing how to get it. And the second problem is not knowing what you want. I think that's kind of a barrier, not knowing what you want or not knowing how to get what you want or not having people to come alongside you to kind of discover
0: the answer to one of those two questions. Man, this is really good, Sam. I so appreciate our conversation. There's a few questions that hit me before I go there. Would you mind just in kind of an over a fly by like a 30,000 square foot overview, just go over those seasons again with us? What do you call those seasons and each steps in those seasons?
1: So it's evolved a bit within the creative space with the artist. Winter, spring, summer, fall. And I believe everything just life is a series of seasons, right? So we just kind of, it's always a return back to home. Winter is the hobbyist. Spring is the artist. Summer is the artisan. And autumn or fall is the artisan warrior, right? Where you actually, you know, living not for yourself, but for the benefit of others. But that's actually even evolved into helping more people. And so winter has been. Calling, so clarifying your calling. Spring has been developing your character. Summer has been developing your craft. And then autumn has become contribution, creation. And so those are kind of like the four C's that I use now. And so when I meet with someone, we always start off with winter. And I ask them a simple question What is it that you want? And then I just be quiet and we have a long conversation. And I just become very curious. And really wanting to know, like, what is the, the, the motivator and the driver behind these wants? Now, if they don't know what they want, then I walk them to an exercise where they could list out all these things and find some clarity in there. But out of what they want, usually they start hearing and discovering some sort of a calling. And I want to give them the clarity and courage to step across that threshold from the old to the new and, and help them across And so, when they answer the calling, then they step into the identity crisis, right? Of, am I the one that could do these things? (laughs) And so, I help them to develop their character and their wellness. And so, you know, character is probably the most important thing that we need to develop in our lives because that's what sustains us through ups and downs. And then also wholeness and wellness to make sure that we're healthy. And so, to really help them to create some intentionality behind that. And so, as they go through, you know, the springtime, the identity crisis, and they come out of the am I to I am kind of season. Then they step into mastery or the craft and really defining what is the gifts and talents and what is the abilities that they were created to utilize. And we really focus on developing uh, capacities and capabilities. And then we move into autumn, where we actually figure out what is the contribution we make from this kind of journey that we've made as a gift to the world. And then they start all over again, and we just kind of go in cycles. (laughs) But in a sense, every time we go through the four seasons, we level up.
0: Mm. You were talking about beauty and brokenness, or seeing God's beauty in, in hardship. And you've been through a hard season. Your wife's health. I remember being in Africa, and you had to leave, yeah, and head home immediately, like early, to go be be with your wife. And it's this has been a long haul, and she. This is uh, everything I know about her. Just she's a champ, and you are you are a lucky man. Question I have is: What's one beautiful thing that you? carry with you because of your wife what's one beautiful thing that you carry with you because of your father
1: so with my wife you know I know this in the audio podcast but if you look on my backside there's a picture of the up story right Pixar up right and there's the man with all the balloons and there's his wife holding Ellie holding him down keeping him grounded and she's has she's the one that has always kept me grounded and that allowed me to float away into this kind of la-la land of artistry and creativity. She's the one that has, so the gift and the beauty that she's given me is the here and now. She taught me to understand how to enjoy the simplicity of a simple life, of of being present and 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 doing life together. As an artist, we could easily get absorbed in our work. And so for me, I have very clear boundaries. At a certain time, I stop and I try to create space for her. And so we go on dates twice a week now, which is great, right? But that's something that she's helped me. Her fighting through all the things that she went through, again, was a gift as well to show me that, that we can get through it. <laughs> and so uh, her courage and, 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 and her strength to recover and get to the state that she is now is, is pretty awesome. For my father, I think it's a phrase that I carry with me. And this is something I shared at the eulogy where his story is my story and my story will be his legacy. And so I carry on his story through my life. And so that's something that I realized and really helped me to have a long view, generational view of life. I don't look at what I could get done in my lifetime anymore. I look at what I feel like I could get done in lifetimes that include investing in my children and investing in my family, investing in their children's children, hopefully creating some sort of a trajectory that helps them to continue to move in that direction towards that beautiful future.
0: So Sam, what's the best art that you've created? My kiddos.
1: (laughs) So I was thinking about that and I think that question really helped me kind of define what that was. And actually is a framework, that I, I developed for my kids. So ever since they were, um, you know, when they first started school, I felt like I needed to show them like, or teach them or get them ready and, and let them know what your dad's expectations are of school. And so what I said to them was, all I ask is that you're kind, you stay curious and you live brave. And I've been saying that for about eight, nine years now. And the nice thing about it is I didn't have to teach them how. I just gave them that framework. And now I would say that they're pretty kind, they're pretty curious, and they're pretty brave. And so if I were to say, what's the greatest work of art that I've created? I think it's that framework for my children, just to give them a tool to see the world and see how they could engage the world and and give them an opportunity to discover how to do it well. That's awesome. I think I wanted to share that because that question was a gift for me. You, You allowed me to sit there and think, and I was like, wow huh what is it and then I had this kind of like emotional moment where I'm like I just kind of said it as a whim but you know if when I ask my kids three things they always say be kind stay curious and live brave and I'm like maybe that could be something that the adults could hear too how do you how can you live life how can you approach life today let's be kind let's stay curious the word stay is really important and let's live brave right and so that was a gift that you gave me with a question and I was able to think through and process that a lot. One of the things that I've been using as well as another framework is the story, the narrative and the legacy. A lot of folks are talking about story and a lot of folks are talking about legacy. Story is, is how we came to be, right? It's about our past. I am who I am because of my story. Legacy is how people will remember me. So we have no control over our story or legacy, right? But we do have control over our narrative, how we live our life. And one of the things that I've learned is that this kind of script that we use, this beautiful script or this beautiful perspective or whatever you want to use, this narrative that we use in our lives that directs us and drives us, sometimes it's not so positive and not so good. And so for me, I learned one of the most important ways to live life is to create a new narrative. And as I was trying to create a new narrative for myself, I realized I just need to change the narrator. It's no longer my narrative is, the narrator is Jesus, and I just do what he says. And that's where I learned to really discover what it means to live the beautiful life with the beautiful one in hopes to create the beautiful future, you know, today. So that's kind of what I've been discovering and working on as of late.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time. I know that you put prep and energy into this, but man, I think it's gonna be a big blessing for people, whether they consider themselves an artist or not having
1: an opportunity to share kind of like what I've been processing these past few months, it's again, like it's a gift. And I just want to say thank you for inviting me to share it with you guys. If you don't mind, can I read this prayer to you guys? Just to kind of, yeah. So this is a prayer that I wrote when I just need to have just this daily kind of reminder of what is it that I am and what am I to do? Right. It's a prayer called the prayer of the artisan warrior. Father, Give me the eyes to see what you see, the ears to hear what you hear. Give me the hands of compassion and feet towards justice. Fill my mind with your promises, my heart with your passion, my soul with your peace, and this space with your presence. And in the overflow of being your beloved, show me, guide me, lead me to share your love with the world. Awaken my soul ignite my spirit, strengthen my body, purify my heart, and renew my mind to create that beautiful future today. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Common Grace, a Whitewater podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this episode or have suggestions for future topics, send an email to info at whitewaterchurch.org. Thanks for listening.